Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello, welcome. Thanks for joining. I'm Harmony, and it's just so wonderful to connect with you each week. Thanks for your time and support and energy. It's just such a great way to, um, yeah, share so many beautiful stories. And this week is no different. We're meeting with a wonderful woman, an incredible human, Bella Sarna. She's a student of mine and a dear friend. And we're meeting with her in Queensland, Australia. She was born in London to a Portuguese mother and Indian father, and now she's the mother of two young children. She really understands what it's like to fit yoga practice into the day amidst a demanding job, being a mother. And when I first met Bella, she had dreams of opening her own yoga school, her own yoga studio. And that's what she did. She enrolled in B-School with me a couple of years ago, kind of in at the start of the pandemic, and jumped in to creating and designing her own yoga school. And so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about her journey, her path through yoga, starting with Shivananda style yoga, and then moving into a teacher training that she took in Australia, and then furthering her studies with Kino McGregor and Tim Feldman uh, in Miami. And she's just so passionate about yoga and the yoga practice and her practice of yoga as a spiritual discipline. And I thought her story was incredibly uh, interesting to share, not only because it describes the journey of having this dream to start a business, to open a yoga school, how challenging that can be, um, especially amidst a pandemic. And then also what she's up to now, she is an interior designer designing beautiful spaces and how sometimes the path that we're on leads to new paths and opens up new doors for us. So I think you're going to find this an incredibly fun and interesting podcast interview to listen to. We also get into an interesting conversation about body image and the Ashtanga yoga practice and maybe the unconscious bias that many teachers have around full-figured women who practice, especially women in midlife who are mothers, who have other things going on in their lives, and some of how we can maybe unravel those biases or draw some more awareness to them as practitioners, as teachers, as a community, so that we're not, I guess, making students feel bad that they don't have this yoga body that, you know, we associate with being disciplined and committed, that there's many, many full-figured women who have a deep spiritual practice and are deeply committed to their Ashtanga yoga practice that, you know, aren't rail thin and can't lift up and float and do handstands and advanced postures. But that doesn't mean that they're less spiritually advanced or even less disciplined in their practice or lifestyle. And just talking a little bit about this, I guess, 
bias that it's so easy to fall into. It's a real trap that um, many teachers, especially very dedicated and committed teachers who have sacrificed a lot of things in their life to, you know, wake up at 2 a.m. to do this yoga practice might fall into, right? Not in a mean way, not in a way where they're trying to, you know, perpetuate an unhealthy image or unhealthy or self-conscious, you know, state for a student, but just in the way that the practice and our culture tends to elevate and it tends to raise up a certain body type, a certain practitioner, that is very able-bodied, but also very thin for the most part. And so, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that based on a social media post that she um, made recently that got a lot of attention. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode and I want to get right to it. I also want to let you know of an incredibly fun and amazing challenge that's happening in the coming weeks on February 7th, 8th, and 9th, you can join the free dream business challenge. And if you are a yoga teacher, a therapist, a healer, a wellness professional, a coach, a life coach, a health coach, this dream business challenge uh, is going to be the perfect opportunity for you to really take a deep dive into not just thinking about how you want to um, enhance or support or begin or start your own business, but really how you want to set up your life so that your business is supporting your life and you're not sacrificing your life in support of your business. So it's an easy, again, habit to fall into where we're sacrificing so much of our lives, our days off, our weekends to our business and to building our business. And this challenge is going to challenge some of the beliefs we have that we have to work harder in order to be successful um, and help us also really create more clarity around uh, the actions that will move the dial forward the most and how to simplify to amplify our efforts when it comes to building our own dream business, our own professional um, company or our own solopreneur company, whatever that might look like for you. So I would encourage you to jump into this challenge. It's with my coach and mentor, Marie Forleo. Uh, the Dream Business Challenge coming up February 7th, 8th, and 9th. You can find the link in the show notes as well as on my bio on Instagram. So I hope to see you there. I'm really excited about it. Learning about business and guiding wellness professionals and how to optimize their efforts in their own you know, business, yoga teachers, helping them create sustainable companies, sustainable businesses that they love is part of my passion. And that's why I am an advocate of B-School and an affiliate and love to just support wellness professionals, creative, big-hearted humans in building their business. So come on into the Dream Business Challenge and I'll see you there.
Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm here with Russell Case. Harmony. Yeah, hi. Do you remember the podcast that we did with the fellow from uh, from Michigan? No, Ohio. Yeah. And there were all the drug references. Oh, yeah. Well, we got some complaints. No. <laughs> we did. So we had a come in and they've asked us to tone down the drug references on the podcast. Yeah, good so, idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we won't be talking about that no, today because we we're meeting with the beautiful Bella Sarna. Hello, Hi, Bella. Bella. Hi there. How are you both? Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. As, and if you hadn't noticed, I've already put on the airs and graces of my three years in Brighton. So I hope you don't <laughs> mind I pull that out. Okay. That's good. Thank you for doing that. I'm actually from Michigan. Where are you from? Uh, you're from up north, or you're from London? Where are you? Yeah, I'm from North London. So north I, London. Yeah, grew up in a place called Enfield, and I went to school Enfield. Um, in Highgate in North London near Camden. So yeah. Camden yeah. Yards. So very much um, around uh, the North London side. Yeah. Nice. You know, just to get just to jump in, and I, I we should introduce you properly as the the founder of Little Sanctuary Yoga and Little Sanctuary Interiors. And you're here to talk to us a little bit about your, your life story. But um, you mentioned this wonderful thing in your bio about not being British and not being Portuguese and not being <laughs> Sikh. And yet you, you must be all of those things. Yeah, I must time. be. I thought about it often. I thought, well, actually, probably I'm a combination of it all. So I think it was because I was neither here nor there. So um, yeah. for me, it, it it kind of felt a little bit, uh, I mean, you know, at school, there was kind of no one really of a mix like mine. So I felt a little bit kind of maybe just a little bit different, I suppose, yeah. to, to other people in the, in the school. And then um, I obviously have my Portuguese side of the family that I'm very close to, my Indian side of the family I'm very close to, but, you know, very different dynamics on both sides. So it kind of felt um, a little bit stuck in between, I suppose. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And in England, in like a totally different culture than... Yes. Although England is so, uh, you know, culturally diverse. As, yeah. as you, you, know, mean, so. you mean racist? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like there's there are yeah. so many cultures there, right? So yeah, um, for sure. So uh, from that respect, you know, I, at school I was surrounded by those different cultures. I think mine was just quite an unusual mix mm -hmm. of two. Yeah, um, and then now you're in Australia, though. I am. Yes, I want to. I want to dig in more on this British okay. thing. Mm. <laughs> We're not so, leaving it there. Yeah, no, no, we're not just moving on to Australia. There's a lot. There's a lot. I want there. to go down under. Yeah, yeah we're just we're gonna dig a little deeper till we get down under, huh? Okay. So, the thing that I really have struggled with and probably always struggled with is is um, just you know, ultimately just finding out that I'm 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 American and like this is who I am and I can't fake it. You know, I can't fake being um, being the person I. I try to fake being the person that I'm with, whether I'm in Canada or Britain or, you know, South Korea, you know, no one's ever fooled. Um, the thing that I really struggled with in Britain is realizing that if, you know, in a, if there's a group dynamic and we're all to be in one room, then I can't really go up to my room and take a nap. Like, it's just, 
it's just it's not cricket if you know what i mean and i and i wonder like if is there a part of being british that really kind of rubbed you up the wrong way that you said this just i can't manage this or if you're with your portuguese relatives you know did you notice what was really sticking out for you um I suppose not so much because, if anything, um, you know, I spent my whole, I, I was born in London, I grew up in London, and I only left London when I was kind of uh, late 20s or nearly mm-hmm. 30. So I only really knew London. I only did, I didn't get to India until, uh, you know, I was probably uh, early 20s. So mm-hmm. I didn't really know that part. I, I only really knew the UK and Portugal. And so um, all of my cousins, we were all born there. So for me, um, it wasn't like, that I kind of, I mean, unless I went, I went to Portugal and spent my holidays there, it wasn't that I felt like, um, uh, it felt strange. It always felt quite natural and, and normal. Yeah. So there wasn't anything that stood out that I felt was kind of wrong. Not that I can think of anyway. I mean, something might yeah. come to me. But, um, yeah, it just felt like normal life, you know, but very much living and uh, born and bred in, in the UK and living there and experiencing that. But also the, the really nice aspect of having the, additional cultures that I could experience at the same time. But you didn't necessarily like have St. George's flag on your front lawn <laughs> either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was ne- I never got to that extreme. <laughs> no, no that's, that's how you know you're properly racist. No. <laughs> it's like the, like the one in America. The, the Confederate, Confederate flag. flag. Yeah, when you have a Confederate flag in your front yard, then you... You can start to ask questions. People start to avoid your house. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you do get that here feeling. as well. A few, a few Australian flags in the uh, in the in the garden. What's yeah, what is right and good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so one that you described is um, is a, that you were really quite a good student in in Britain. You were doing really well in your A levels, oh, and then in my in my GCSE. So I did one GCSE. in my GCSE. Yeah. Kind of went downhill after that. Things kind of went downhill for you. <laughs> and I was, I was sorry to read that. I mean, it's particularly tragic. I mean, do you feel comfortable talking about it at all? Uh, yeah. So um, when I was at uh, primary, uh, sorry, secondary school, which is when you do your GCSE, so that's kind of up till about sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing really well, and then um, my brother got diagnosed with leukemia, and I suppose that was quite a um, just a big upheaval for all of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think when I got to my A levels, and I also moved, I also moved schools. So I moved from that um, all girls convent school to a mixed, uh, you know, college. And um, and I was doing A levels there. That probably I wasn't that passionate about either. So I remember when I was at school, I really liked art. I loved that, and I and I, and I did well in it. Um, my parents were particularly supportive of me continuing with it. They just didn't see that there was much value in it. And so, no worries there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and so I did some, you know, I did languages and I did geography for some reason. I'm not sure why. And <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like the art of, of landscape, <laughs> the art of the earth, the art and, of the earth. Yes. <laughs> And, um, and yeah, I think I was just going through a very difficult time, although I didn't, te- I probably didn't process it very well either. It wasn't like I was kind of in this dark place. I was just kind of getting on with life. But uh, if I think about it, uh, you know, I started to rebel a bit and probably 
all of that was a combination of just what was going on in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so I did do great. And my parents were completely appalled with my results, <laughs> as they would be. Um, and so um, the whole kind of idea of going to uni at that point was like, oh, no, it doesn't look like it's going to happen because obviously it's mm-hmm. very much based on those grades. Mm-hmm. Um, but one uni did take me, thankfully. Good. So, <laughs> and I um, I applied for the uni that as far away as I could from London. So, yeah. uh, I applied to quite a few, and um, I got accepted at Sheffield uh, Hallam. So I went there, and uh, and I think that was kind of good for me to kind of get away from the the tents. Uh, I suppose you know that all that was going on at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that unfortunately he, he didn't he did pass he didn't he did um, didn't make it with the leukemia and no. you said that um, I think shortly after you you kind of needed you needed something to kind of work yourself out of that experience you started doing yoga at that point yeah um, so he passed while I was at university and I kind of dealt with it dealt with it in my own way um, and. It was probably in a bit of a self-destructive way. But then when I got back to London and I started working, um, that's when I found uh, a, a yoga centre that my husband and I started going to. So I wasn't married to him at the time. I, um, but, uh, Were you married <laughs> to him now? I am married to him now. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but did you go together? Did you meet them? Yeah, we went together. No, we oh, went together. Cool. We, went together. We, we met at uni. So we met at okay. uni together. And, and so... Uh, yeah, he had like real back issues, which he kind of still does, but not so bad. And um, and he suggested that it would be a good idea to go. So I was curious, and I went along. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I really, I really loved it. And I probably would have gone more often, but it was in Putney, and I lived in North London, so it was quite a trek to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it was only kind of three to two or three times a week whenever I stayed at his because he lived near Putney that I would go. Right, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I, he totally was just purely about f- fixing his back. You know, he's mm-hmm. not a spiritual person in the slightest. Um, but for me, I loved the feeling that I got afterwards as well. It was a very peaceful feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was a really holistic practice as well. You know, it wasn't just asana. There was uh, pranayama. There was like kriya practices. So it was really, it was really nice. It was really kind of. Uh, you know, a lot, sort of an all-encompassing pr- uh, practice, maybe an hour and a half mm-hmm. each time we went. So it was, it was lovely, really nice. That was a, that was a Shivananda Vedanta Center. It was, yes. Yeah, it yeah, seems like there. the right way to do it. I think. It's <laughs> <laughs> intentional. Yeah, it was. Yeah, in hindsight, I think that's probably if anyone out there is still a hardcore. <laughs> Shandhi, <laughs> probably not after listening to our podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the right way to go. Something, you know, something that kind of is, is holistic that kind of talks at all the different angles of the whole life experience. Mm, yeah, it was nice. It was, was nice. That, was that what inspired you to go to India then? No, um, we just decided that we, uh, well, I suppose one of the reasons um, we wanted to, to do a around the world trip mm-hmm. and, um, you weren't a, it would be really hard to get a visa in Australia before um, after 30. So we wanted right. to make sure we got there before 30. Mm-hmm. And so um, we planned this kind of round-the-world trip. We were going to go to Australia, but then we were going to maybe work there for a little bit and then go to South America and come back home. Um, so we left. We went on a kind of um, diving 
marine sort of diving expedition, which was like volunteer work in Fiji, mm -hmm. which was which was amazing. We did that for a while. Then we came back, um, and then we went properly. Um, so we went, the first place we went to was India with my dad. So he came along with us. Oh, fun! And uh, yeah, it was nice. And we had our moments, but <laughs> overall, it was fun. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we stayed. I've got family in Delhi, so we stayed with them. And then we went to Amritsar to the Golden Temple. Beautiful. We just travelled around for like had, six or eight weeks. Had your dad been there before to Amritsar? Yeah, he oh to Amritsar, yes, um, mm. a long time ago, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But he mm -hmm. hadn't been back to India for quite a long time. He sort of moved to the UK as a boy. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, so for him it was really nice to kind of get back and, and spend time there as well. I think when his father passed away, he'd been to Amritsar then, which was a few years before. Right. So how did he hook up with a Portuguese gal? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, um, so my mum was a nurse. They were both working at the Royal Free Hospital in Houston, and um, my dad, I think he was a receptionist, and so that's how they got together. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was a bit frowned upon as well, you know, because uh, obviously he was kind of meant to marry um, maybe someone that was Sikh as well. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but then you wouldn't be here, Bella. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Mm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think they kind of had a bit of a tough time of it for a little while, but it all sorted itself out. And um, yeah, and. And then my mum continued to do nursing for a little while. And then my dad took over his father's business. His father had a shop in Finchley. Um, he took over that, I think, reluctantly, but maybe not. I don't know. And um, <laughs> and then that was kind of his life from then. So he had that shop. And then he had a, they, they also had another one. And he basically worked all the time. Like mm -hmm. I think the only day he didn't work was like Christmas Day. So he was constantly working. Um, and so my mum kind of gave up nursing and started working there, but she's actually gone back to nursing maybe in the last, uh, probably the last sort of 15 years or so she went back again to nursing. Was it, was it her parents that brought her to, to England? Why would no, they do that? She, <laughs> she came to England because at the time, um, Salazar was, um, you know, a dictator, he was a dictator. Mm -hmm. He, um, I think it was kind of not, not a great time to be in Portugal. And so mm -hmm. she came over with cousins and and, um, and came over. Then her parents stayed there. So she was very much alone, mm. not speaking English when she came. But oh, she, wow. she she learned English and she became a nurse. So she's pretty amazing. Wow. What was your what was your father's shops? What what did they sell? Oh, it was just, um, he had a, a shop called Osaka in Finchley, which sold all kind of, anything from like anything from sort of Southeast Asia. It wasn't just Indian. It was like kind of Japanese food and all sorts of, um, Osaka. you know, Osaka. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Um, and then he had another shop after that, which was kind of just like a grocery store. That's all. Oh, everything, cool. really. Yeah. Oh. You and I were both born in 1975. Is that right? Oh, were we? Oh, yeah. I didn't know you were. Okay. Yeah. And what, what <laughs> month are you? I'm August. August. So I'm April. So I'm a titch. <laughs> older than you so okay. in august of 74 i was famously conceived in portugal in portugal on the beach oh, oh, outside, of, outside of <laughs> lisbon i have to i have to go back and i have to apply for citizenship actually um <laughs> i was told that i could do that oh, um, there you go i need know, to get so my yeah. passport sorted but my yeah. mom just insisted on um 
on going on vacation to Portugal, even though it was a, a dictatorship at the time. So she, hey, yeah. she thought it was fantastic. They were robbed of their passports and all of their wealth. And so they stayed another six weeks longer than they meant to because they couldn't get out of the country. Oh, no way. Wow. And then because they were, um, quote unquote, clean, my dad told me this weekend, that's how I got, I got, uh, I was made. Oh, I uh, see. There you they go. hadn't, uh, he told me all of this, like just over the weekend. He said, um, you know, that they, that they hadn't been using any kind of birth control for like two years. And then like two weeks on a Portuguese beach and I was made. There you go. No, no worries. Yeah, and have you so. been back since you were conceived? He's well, it's in, my, it's in my heart, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Portugal always travels with me. Uh, I love Portugal. Yeah, you feel too. very Portuguese, I you said. Do. Especially I in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I love yeah. Portugal. Yeah. Do you have and any recommendations for conceiving Portuguese children? <laughs> No, you should go back and visit the beach. You should go back and visit the beach. Well, we'll give it a shot maybe this summer, sweetie. You like, I mean, I love your interior design, which we're going to get into, but you incorporate like some of those, um, like the Portuguese kind of uh, ceramic patterns and like the beautiful kind of, um, yeah, tiling that you find there. Um, Yeah, I love, I'm I'm a little bit obsessed with tiles, to be honest with you, which is a bit... (laughs) Maybe a bit tragic. Um, and I'm also um, quite obsessed with um, the, the Indian handicrafts, the furniture that they produce as well. Um, so, yeah, I think my style is kind of a combination of everything that I love from both cultures and also mm-hmm. what I love from, from being English as well, you know, the, the kind of quality and craftsmanship that you get from the UK. So it's a mm-hmm. bit of a combination of everything. So my, that's why my style is quite eclectic in the fact that kind of see things from all over and I just kind of can't stop myself I, I want to kind of combine them all yeah oh, I these love patterns that. are fantastic yeah your designs are so beautiful your oh thank you designs. thank you the um they saying I wish you lived closer <laughs> I think the yeah. yellow stripy wallpaper and this blue tile on the bathroom floor it's just magnetic, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. The other beautiful thing is in your designs, you're able to like combine all these things from all, from all the different like cultures that are a part of you, and it really comes out. And then also your love for art is being expressed, which I think is so nice. You got to use all all that art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> instruction after all. Were, were you studying art at Sheffield? No, 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 no. I was studying business, international business, oh. languages. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just no, getting no, hammered no. after hours, probably. <laughs> um, it wasn't exactly where I saw myself going, but it kind of ended up. And, you know, I met my husband. I met amazing friends while I was there. Mm-hmm. I got to live in Portugal for a year and a half. Oh. Because oh. Part, of the, part of the course was to, to I was doing international languages, uh, international business with Portuguese. So we spent, um, six months in Braga in the north and um, a year in Faro in the south. So it was really, really good. Oh, great time. Oh, the way that she says it is quite different. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, why wouldn't you just hunker down and, and try and get a, a mortgage in um, in <laughs> London? Why why just drop everything and say, fuck all, I'm going, I'm going overseas? I think we were just kind of a little bit, done with the commute to work like I worked at Canary Wharf and it was a 
big commute to get there. Um, and the grey sky and the, the fact that it gets dark so early, you know, all of that combined, we're just like, oh, we can't do this for much longer. We just want to kind of get out. Mm-hmm. And um, we sort of had the opportunity sort of now or never to give it a go. Mm-hmm. I'd been in working <coughs> in the city in London for about maybe seven years or so, and so had um, Ian, my husband, and it just felt like the right t- thing to do. Just everything kind of aligned. We were like, right, let's just get out of here. We've saved enough to be able to kind of do a, a little bit of a, a trip um and so we did and i think because as well the opportunity came up with that coral key com- conservation which was that diving trip it just felt like let's just do that and then take some time off work so that's what we yeah. did and the intention actually was always to come back it's just uh, it never happened no you didn't come back did you <laughs> no no, no. I didn't. and i feel bad about that my poor mom um <laughs> She kept saying, when are you coming home? And I'd be like, yeah, another year or another six months. And it just kind of never happened. Poor, poor, my poor mum. And how long has it been? How many years has it been since you? It's been about, I think it's been about 18 years. So 18 years later, you're still, uh, one more year. <laughs> Although I did, um, I did uh, apply for a job in London just before COVID with the intention oh. to go back there. Um, but then COVID happened. And everyone there was in lockdown and everyone there was doing the homeschooling. And I thought to myself, there's just no way I can do that for six months. You know, like yeah. one of us won't survive. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, I, I declined the role at the time, but it kind of felt like the right thing to do because mm-hmm. here in Australia, we were kind of living in a bit of a bubble. You know, we were quite protected from anything going on outside to the point where, you know, we weren't allowed to go anywhere. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. so then... Um, it felt like the UK was almost in the other extreme, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and so the whole reason for going back would have been to see my parents, but I probably wouldn't have been able to spend much time with them, right, because it was quite high risk at the time. So mm-hmm. uh, it felt, yeah, I'm kind of glad we did that. But there is still an intention to get back to the UK um, so at some point soon. One day. Mm. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, now's the sort of time. Yeah. So then, right at the end of of your travels, you're in Australia. I, maybe you, you said that you were you were broke, which is something that often happens when you're traveling. Yeah. And, and then you ended up just finding work in Australia. How did, can you tell us how you did that? Because that seems like that's how you got to be here right now. It just yeah. Um... I think it was my husband that got um, sponsorship, maybe, with Unilever. That, um, so he started working with them, and um, and I got a contract with a big bank. There's, like, four big banks over here. I got a contract with one of those guys, and uh, it just happened really easily and quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were renting a place that was furnished, and we were saving our money so we could carry on going uh, with our trip. But then the, la- the lady who was the landlord of that place decided she wanted to move back in. And so we were kind of left without anywhere to live. And so here in Australia, it's quite hard to find a furnished place. Yeah. So we kind of then spent all our savings on furniture and staying. And, and it right. kind of then set, we then, we then settled into a routine of, all right, we're staying for a while. And a while became 18 years. So mm. we had a, <laughs> wow. I worked in, uh, in Bondi Beach. For oh, um, I guess it was um, the fall of 2010, and it seemed like a lot of people just left the furniture out on the street, mm. and you could just pick up anything you wanted. So I mean, 
Yeah, I, I could have done that. Need to... I could have scavenged streets. Yeah, scavenged <laughs> streets. And if you wanted a pet bat, you could grab a bat. There's plenty of those. There are, there are. Lots of Fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Getting up at like three in the morning to go teach yoga. And like, there's just like bats like would follow me. Tree to tree, <laughs> just like make sure that I don't trip. You know, <laughs> like oh, this one, this one's weak. Yeah. Um, I, used to get up, I used to get up early to go rowing. I used to row in, when I lived in Bowen, and um, uh, it was the kookaburras. I don't know if you remember the sound of the kookaburras, oh, but they, right. yeah, they, they've got this really quite unique sound, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what used to sort of accompany me the whole way to rowing when it was pitch black. Just being the sound of these cookie birds that sounded like monkeys in the trees, which was really strange. Yeah. Well, then you really started doing like a fair fair bit of, of yoga. You started really getting down with it. And, <laughs> and uh, can you tell you you have this teacher Nadia? Can you tell us more about her, Nadia Rahani? Yeah, so um, I met Nadia through a friend of mine who was going to her yoga studio and. Um, uh, I was just going to her classes. There. I don't remember them being Ashtanga classes there, but Nadia was, you know, she was going to India a lot, so she was obviously you know, going to Mysore and spending a lot of time there. And, um, and I just used to go to her classes um, as and when I could because she was in Potts Point and I was uh, a little bit further away from there. But um, I really just got on very well with her. I really liked her, and I still do. And yeah. um, then... When, she, when I got an email just talking about a teacher training, that was kind of at a time that I was considering a teacher training. So it just felt the right thing, like the right thing. It just felt right. I'd been looking at other kind of ones and wasn't really sure. And then this kind of email came out of the blue and it felt really right. And mm. even though she wasn't taking the teacher training, I knew that because it was a recommendation from her that it would be, it would be a really good teacher training, which it, which it ended up being. Mm. Who was teaching the teacher training? Uh, his name's Mark Bredner, and uh, he's Australian. He lives in Bali now, um, and it was a very thorough kind of teacher training. You know, it was quite long. It was quite. It was spread over four months, um, but he he very much focused on meditation, pranayama, kriya. So it was very, uh, and again, holistic, which is kind of what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was nice. It was really nice. Nice. I know and, Nadia. She's do you really? Yeah, she's lovely. How do you know her? She is. From she Mysore. Is. From Mysore, Nadia Yeah, we Nadia spent some time together in Mysore. Hmm. Now she has two babies, right? I mean, there's yeah. no babies anymore, but... She does. She's got little ones. Yeah. You, you, you've got two babies as well, Bella. Yeah, but not, yeah, not yeah, babies. Not so little. Yeah, they're six, six and eight. Yeah. And you had them in Australia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, did you start teaching yoga after doing the teacher training, or did you just do it for your yeah, own well, sort of actually, learning? In order, to, in order to kind of get your final certification, you um, he wanted you to, so he made you. Well, he didn't make you, um, but yeah. he suggested that you do. Um, I can't remember how many classes we had to do, but we had to kind of get them signed off and stuff. So, um, rather than it just being a teacher training, you do, and then that's it. You kind of need to go through that process of teaching too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I taught, I taught, um, I taught friends. I taught my rowing club that I, um, that I'd been a part of. Um, did you taught... teach your nan? So I, did I read that right? <laughs> my nan? Yeah. No. Grandparents. I read somewhere that you no, taught your I remember my, I taught my, I taught my parents. Oh, your parents. Your parents. <laughs> my parents. Yeah. I taught them online during COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, 
they were kind of losing their minds because they were sort of stuck at oh, home. Yeah. I taught and my so, eighty-year-old parents. It yeah, says that. Yeah, yeah. that's. Well, they were probably about seventy-eight at the time. But... Didn't sound like parents. I just read eighty, and, and I did the breast in my yeah, head. yeah, fair enough. And um, yeah, so I taught that. It was really nice, actually. They like sort of made some space in their living room, and um, I kind of took them through some breath work and meditation and a bit of movement, which I think Mm -hmm. was really good for them. Yeah. Did they reach out and ask you, or did you recommend it? I suggested it. I suggested it. And my dad was super keen, and my mom kind of got on board, which I was really surprised about, but she was as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I really obviously had to modify quite a bit, um, uh, and it was hard because I wasn't there, right? So I was kind right. of just watching through a screen at a really bad angle because you know, yeah, know, yeah. Like, with technology. Mm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh my god, so we got Good for them though. Good yeah. for them. That's mm. amazing. That's wonderful. I think your parents would have been amazing at yoga. They do yoga at the YMCA. They do. Oh, yeah. nice. They, you know, they're so you don't teach them? I don't teach them, no. Mm. <laughs> they go to like someone else. You taught them once at Purple Valley. I did. I yeah, I did. Mm. I have taught them in the past. I taught them in Thailand when they came on retreat with me. If they come on retreat with me, I teach them. <laughs> I taught them at Purple Valley when they were on Lovely. retreat with me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't teach them in Mexico. They came on retreat, but I, they were. That was the worst retreat they've ever had, they said. <laughs> yeah, but they love to tell stories about it. <laughs> oh, we don't want to get into it. <laughs> well, you, both you and Jedi nearly died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one. There was just like one dramatic thing after the other, after the other. Oh, but yeah, Jedi almost a... died of like dehydration. He was like, vomiting and oh wouldn't goodness. keep any fluid down and I got bit by a scorpion and anyway. It's I think like, it's stung. I don't think they bite. Be stung, stinging. stung, yeah. Have you had any close encounters with, with the beasts in Australia? Because they're you hear the stories that they're just like they're they just they're killers in Australia. Everything is out to kill you the moment you step outdoors. And you being British, I think you'd struggle yeah, oh, um, we yeah we've had a few snakes. So um, when we first arrived in the Sunshine Coast, we had a um, a python outside of our where our where our garden is, just on the outside. And our mm-hmm. next door neighbours had a puppy, so they were really worried about it because you know they could potentially yeah. eat the puppy. Mm-hmm. And sure. so we so we um, we called a snake catcher, and he looked terrified. <laughs> this guy, he was trying to catch the python, and he just. Yeah, he looked like he was really scared. So it's like his first, his first day, day on the job. <laughs> no, by python, do you mean like a like a twenty foot fucking snake? It was pretty big. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. Big. <laughs> um, and then um, since like I take my dog for a walk in the bush, and um, there was a black snake that slithered past my foot the other day, which I didn't really oh, think anything of because I'm not scared of snakes really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got back, um, Ian was saying, "Yeah, that was probably really deadly." <laughs> You should have really been concerned. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really worry about it. It wasn't interesting to me. Yeah, luckily. You know, one time when I was I was in Texas, and forgive the listeners if I've told this story on the podcast before, but one time in in, in Texas, I was in the uh, green country. The um, They don't call it the green country. They call it the, um, um, I was in a park, whatever they call it, the green belt. Okay. And I had decided to meditate because I was still trying 
you know, and, uh, and I was meditating in the park and I, I was like sort of waist deep in the water in Lotus, just like really relaxed and like very comfortable and even like, you know, kind of tripping a little bit cause it was so nice. And then about 30 feet from me, I saw a moccasin bring its head up out of the water and take a good look at me. Huh. It was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And uh, I just looked at it and it looked at me and then it just like, you know what, you're, you're not to be trifled with and just kind of then swam away. Wow. And it was kind of like, you know, like when, like some kind of like snake, like Shiva snake kind of yeah, rises up uh, nice. behind you. It's a good omen. It's a good omen. Yeah. <laughs> did, did, you, did you get out of water pretty quickly after that? Yeah, or- no. No, I no. was good. And I was like, this, this situation's calm, you know, resolved itself. So okay, love it. I sat still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's get back to oh, the yoga Oh, back journey. to the yoga. Yeah. <laughs> you study with Dina Kingsburg, of all people. I've done, an, I've, I've been on a few retreats with her. Um, well, you wouldn't recommend teach. it, right? Oh, of course you would. <laughs> the Ashtanga yoga, really? Oh, amazing. I loved, I loved, so I had, uh, she had a session here in the Sunshine Coast and uh, Tim Feldman had recommended that I seek her out and um, mm-hmm. and so I did. I saw that there was, a, that she was here in Sunshine Coast and I, I went to a workshop of hers, um, which I think was over a couple of days. And then, um, and then I went to her place near Byron Bay mm-hmm. um, for a retreat there, um, and that spent a week there. It is nice. difficult to get to. Yeah, it's yeah, not well, easy. It was when the floods were, were on as well. Oh, right? so, wow, yeah, yeah. It was kind of quite um, the whole area was kind of quite destroyed. Um, and then I saw that she was going to Portugal, and I was like, right. And this is when the borders oh. pretty much just opened. I was like, right, we're doing it. We're going to Portugal. So it was kind of a combination of seeing my parents and dragging them all the way to the Algarve, um, so that I could practice with Dina. And it worked yes. out really well because the kids uh-huh. and my husband and my parents kind of, you know, did their thing in the morning, had their breakfast, and I went to the um, I went to my soul practice, and then. I spent a couple of hours in the afternoon there as well, so it kind of worked out because we had we had our holiday in between, so it was perfect. Yeah, she she really does remind me a lot of Harmony. Like they have very similar energy to me, and especially in the Meister room where you can be quite tough. And I, she's really um, incredibly special. I, I was just teasing, of course, that you wouldn't recommend it because I mean, you can't get a higher recommendation than Dina no, Kingsbury. Lovely, amazing, yeah. Um, actually, she was uh, she was also in. I also saw her in Sydney because Sharath was here in Sydney right. um, mm-hmm. a while ago, so I went down there. And she was there. It was so nice to just yeah. see her. She's she's love. Like, I love her way of teaching. Her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a combination of everything, you know, not just the Mysore, but the chanting and the. The breath work that she does is just amazing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Singing, it's beautiful. Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice to bring your parents on a retreat to watch the kids too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good because the place that it was at, it wasn't like um, the commercial kind of part of the Algarve. It was very mm-hmm. uh, remote, and it was more on the um, kind of west coast. And it was just really raw and really like the whole landscape was just really sort of untouched and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was such a perfect place for it. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. And somewhere that I'd kind of never seen of Portugal before. So new for yeah. me as well. 
Well, maybe you could tell us more about how you then eventually decided to become a yoga teacher and and open a shala and then close a shala. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'd I've been teaching for a little while. I'd been teaching a lot when COVID happened on Zoom, and I realised that I wasn't necessarily wanting to do that over forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, especially because I was teaching in that corporate environment, um, and colleagues would just turn their cameras off, right? So I'd just kind of be teaching to myself because everyone had their cameras off. Right. And so as much as I tried to encourage it, I think it was because, you know, they're they're in a work, but they're not in their workplace, but they're surrounded by their colleagues. They're maybe a bit self-conscious, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I struggled with that. And so I thought if I want to do this properly, I really want to kind of, kind of dive into maybe having my own studio uh, it was also at the time that I had um, taken the role in London and then decided I wasn't taking the role anymore. So mm-hmm. I was kind of in a limbo of what to do next. And my, whilst my work were great about kind of finding me an interim role, um, that wasn't kind of forever. That was almost like I was contracting with them for a while. So there was getting, it was getting to a point where I kind of needed to do something else. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I decided I'd taken the um, 200 hour, 300 hour of my Miami Life Center and I'd learned so much from that. I was fully mm-hmm. like like immersed in it for so long mm-hmm. that I just kind of wanted to share it. I wanted to, you know, take what, I, what I'd learned um, through just experience but also through all those amazing teachings mm-hmm. and, and put it into interaction. There was nothing really like that here um, in Sunshine Coast. It was all quite... Um, you know, like I suppose, like bigger sharp, bigger studios, maybe mm-hmm. um, doing all sorts of types of yoga, and, and I kind of wanted something that was a little bit more traditional, smaller, um, mm-hmm. and a bit more of a community feel. You know, just a, a very sort of, and it was a small space that I found, so um, that kind of suited me, and it kind of also gave me the opportunity to step out of my comfort zone massively, which was teaching people I knew, teaching people that I um, was familiar with, you know, whether it be work colleagues or rowing colleagues or friends or, you know, so it it was a huge leap for me to to sort of make that move. Um, And it was also, things sort of started to all happen at the same time. So I found this place. It was great. It was available. It was small enough. I could see what I could do with it in terms of how it would look. Um, And... And then uh, I, and I was still in limbo about the role. I didn't think that I was going to have a job, so it kind of worked out that way. And then also your um, B-School um, Harmony was going yeah. on at the same time. So it was just like, right, let me do this. Let me get an idea of, you know, because even though I've done international business, it was like years ago. Right. And to be honest, uh, you know, I, I kind of needed a bit of a, a refresher in business. And um and I, the thing that I liked about it was the fact that it was all about following your heart and following what fe- felt authentic and yeah. um, and felt right, like felt like your purpose rather than just kind of, you know, international business, which was very, very different. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sounds dry. Yes. <laughs> dry is a good word. So, um, so everything kind of happened at the same time. And so I took the leap and I um, opened the Shala. And then I also got offered a role back at my workplace 
And I thought to myself, if I'm going to be able to afford this place, because the rent was expensive, if I'm going to be able to afford this place, it actually makes sense to have my job as well. So Mm. I tried to do both, and I did do both for a while. I did both for Mm. maybe eight months. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a struggle because I was teaching in the morning, working during the day, and teaching in the evening, and um, and it was also the time when all the borders were still shut. So mm-hmm. Noosa, where I live, or just where near where I live, is um, very much a tourist town. So it very much depends on uh, income, incoming tourism and overseas tourism mm-hmm. as well. And that mar- I, I didn't do my market research very well, to be honest. I'll be honest with you, I was pretty <laughs> slack at that. <laughs> so um so that was probably one thing um so whilst there were people coming and there were such beautiful students coming it just financially was kind of killing me right because I was Mm -hmm. having to pay a babysitter to look after my children while I went to teach so anything that I made in a class was kind of used to pay the babysitter yeah. And so it was just, yeah, it was full on. And I wasn't seeing my family um, really very much. And I was exhausted. I was so tired. Yeah. And that's, also. Um, that's like a, that's a grueling schedule. Waking <laughs> up, teaching Mysore, working all day, coming, teaching again, coming home with two kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot. It's a, lot. <laughs> it's a small business. And also I started getting, I started to get quite unwell, like, um, I had almost like this vertigo, like this real dizziness. So every time I stood oh, up and sat down, the whole room would be spinning. And so when I was trying to like show different asana, I couldn't like if I if I moved into into trikonasana, the whole room would spin. So oh it just it just felt yeah, it just felt like it was time. Was and it then stress all, related? Do you think? Or? I don't know. Would, it went it went so. when I was in Portugal. So it's, it lasted for quite a while, like maybe. Oh four months, five months or so, but it, wow. when I went to Portugal, I don't know if it was a change in diet or just just to relax, you know, the fact that mm-hmm. I was relaxing, it kind of went, it went and it, it didn't come back, thankfully, so that's good. That's mm. great. Um, and so, so yeah, so it was an amazing experience because I learned so much and a friend of mine said, oh, do you feel like you failed? And I, and I don't because failing would have been not trying, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I actually got so much out of it. In fact, I'm still teaching a couple of the students privately. So, you know, so it's not like mm-hmm. I'm out of, out of teaching now. Um, and, and just the positive um, feedback was wonderful as well. You know, it was, it was such a huge um, personal thing for me to do, mm-hmm. to kind of take that huge fear of public speaking, of, um, talking or teaching people that I hadn't met before, that whole, you know, just strangers coming in that I've, I, I know very little about. Um, and I kind of managed to do it, so I felt quite proud of myself for doing it. Um, but, yes, the, the rent, the strata fees, the electricity, the water, it was just like bill after bill oh. after bill, and it was mm-hmm. getting too much. And, um, and then I got a call from out of the blue from the, um, from the estate agent asking if I wanted to get rid of the lease sooner rather than later because I had a 12-month lease um, because they were going to rebuild the whole building so they were making it into an English school. So it was kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It was really oh, good. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. so beautiful. But I think, it, I think it's so brave and um, I loved being with you on that journey of opening the school and you had such a beautiful boutique there. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lovely space. It really was. Yeah. It had a really beautiful... Um, Feel, feel to it as well it was 
And anyone who came in there, you know, even if they were just in there to kind of have a look at the yoga mats, whatever, it's just like, wow, this feel this is such a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think if I'm true to myself, I probably yeah. enjoyed the design of the place maybe more than I enjoyed the teaching. I found the teaching, I found myself full of anxiety before every single class. It wouldn't matter wow. how long I'd been there, you know, I was kind of full of kind of, you know, this negative self-talk. But um, the actual te- the actual designing of the space was like just awesome. I loved that part of it. That's it's that interesting it. to to pay attention to the the parts of it that were that were in a, like a, a flow, like that yes. flowed for you as the design part, and there you find yourself now. It's interesting because I, I I when teaching I Harmony and I both were infamously. Um, us, um, spontaneous in our teaching or improvisational we walk in we go into a flow state and see where the room goes mm-hmm. and you know we 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 love that we love just being immersed in that you know watching where the conversation goes what we can talk about and teach and there's a real pleasure to that um building a yoga studio is the farthest damn thing <laughs> from what we'd want to do yeah. We, we we watched this show. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a it's called Chopped. And every 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 winner must gets have ten a chopped Australia. Maybe yeah. there's a chopped Australia. <laughs> every winner gets ten thousand dollars. And they always ask the you know the contestants, well, what would you do if you won the ten thousand dollars? And inevitably they say, Oh, I'd open a restaurant. And they all just sort of nod <laughs> condescendingly. It's like, mm, <laughs> good for you. And it's like, we feel the same way as like, I'm sure there are people listening who want to build their own yoga studio. They're, they've been teaching, they've been teaching at a whack of like five or six different studios throughout the day. And they want to go build their own. They want to have the space. They want to make all their own money and, and do it. And God bless you. <laughs> I did it though. I, did it. I built a yoga studio yeah. and sold it and it's still going. Oh, the, woman, the woman who bought it, she's like that poor lady. No, she's like <laughs> made it even better than I I could have ever made it. She's like got a real strategy about yeah. 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 I, I think the best the best teaching that I that I was a part of was when I was a part of a massive conglomerate corporation that had like 60, 70 employees and I was just a cog, you know, and I didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff. You know, I didn't pay for the posters and the marketing materials or anything. I just showed up and I taught. That's yeah. every male Mysore teacher's dream that I know. But that's why you get married <laughs> to a female is that she does all that for She does you. all the admin work <laughs> and like. Inevitably. Oh yeah, the admin, there's so much admin as well, God. right? Yeah. God. <laughs> but what I love about about your journey and like especially like with B school and like the business aspect of it and like coming to realize you love the designing of the studio is it really opened up this whole new career for you where you were following your passion doing interior design and such beautiful designs. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I'd, I'd, I'd taken a course in, in interior design. I did like a certificate of it in, uh, I think it was, I finished it in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd done, a, I'd had a few projects, a lot of them my own, and then a few of them kind of um, others. And yeah, I think that's where my, 
my happy places for sure. Like I really, you know, when you're fully immersed in something and kind mm. of you're just totally like in the zone. That's how I feel when I'm doing it. There are aspects of it that I struggle with though. You know, it's not all, you know. Yeah, always. Unicorns and rainbows. The, there's um, the, the piece around kind of the whole software piece. You know, I'm not a techie person at all. So that mm. piece is, is a bit of a struggle for me where you have to do the floor planning and, you know, show mm-hmm. what a render would look like, like a visual interpretation of what you've got in your head. Those, mm-hmm. those things I probably need a little bit more um, practice at. So I'm doing my diploma in it now and that will mm-hmm. give me those skills. Yeah. Um, so, but the actual kind of, journey of looking at space and then imagining what it will look like um Mm -hmm. and kind of bringing in elements that relate to nature um or you know for example there was a recent project that I did for a um a granary which was on a farm so it was an old granary that they wanted to turn into accommodation for Mm -hmm. for visitors um in northern New South Wales and so I imagined that there would be sort of scenarios of it either looking like a woodland or uh, a misty morning with kind of blue and white and kind of that kind of that color scheme and um, and and or or even like a very stormy kind of scenario as well. Mm. And so I presented these three ideas to them, and thankfully they took the one that I, I preferred the most. Um, I must have yeah. over, oversold that one a bit more. Um, mm. But yeah, it's just I love that journey of of thinking about what bringing those elements that are outside of the of of the home um, into the home. Yeah. The Blues. No, that's the rugby team there at New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't ask me about sport, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, though, like being inspired by nature and then like bringing those elements into your environment. It's, it's yeah, fun. yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I, that's where I draw my inspiration is be, be from nature, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, so and even like just putting together mood boards of, of palettes, you know, that you sort of see from the outside and then you, yeah, I just, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I really like rugby. (laughs) 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 I got to see a couple of matches when I was there. I saw, I saw the, um, the all blacks and I think I saw the blues play. Okay. Yeah. So you, you were living here for a while? Oh, I think it was just about a month, but I got to see a couple of rugby matches because I was, Nice. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was good. Mm. You made a post that uh, got a lot of attention lately. Oh. I want to talk about it. Okay. Is it controversial? Because I don't <laughs> think that's really. what we do. No, here. not really. No? What do you no. do? Can, Who did you upset? Tell Russell what it was about. Um, it was just about my, my own practice, really, and um, my own experience. So, um, you know, in my late 40s and um, – my body's completely changed from the body that it used to be, especially since having children. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, it, I think sometimes I've looked for guidance from teachers and um, and the guidance hasn't always been that helpful. You know, it might be around kind of what I'm eating or the fact that there's an assumption of, you know, what I might have eaten the day before and it doesn't really help. So when I'm asking for guidance in like a, a deep twist, for example, it was really just about kind of, asking about the technique or exercises that will help rather than um, kind of just bringing my body into it, you know. So I'm, I'm, I know my, I know that my body's changed very much from what it used to be, but it's, I, I see it as 
you know, I, I mean, I've put my body through a lot, right? And it's still yeah. going and it's still working well and it's still, mm. thankfully, um, it's it's given me like my two beautiful children. So I don't really want to beat it up. And I have in the past, but I don't, that's not where I am in my in my life now. I just want to be kind of grateful for all of, all of the stuff it's given me and continues to give me. So that was kind of what the post was about. Yeah, and so she was having trouble doing a twist and yeah. asked for guidance, and and the teacher told her to stop eating sugar. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Which, yeah I could uh... see that helping. <laughs> did it not go off? Did it not go over well? Did it feel oh, like? Really... <laughs> it's, yeah, I felt. I just felt like a bit um, disappointed, really, that that was the response. You know, uh, so yeah, I was kind yeah. of hoping for a bit more than that, I suppose. Well, I think it brings to light a, an interesting thing is that we can, I think, you know, as a teacher or as somebody in that that role where you're guiding, guiding students or clients, um, you know, you might have assumptions about people, about their diet or what they are doing or aren't doing based on maybe your own <laughs> cravings and experience. Or just, you know, just yeah. overall assumptions and that or projections. Projections, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it's not it's not helpful. No, not at all. And and also that it's commenting on on someone's like body, on their weight or their shape, or you know, and not taking into account, like you say, I mean, the fact that you're getting up and you're practicing on your yoga mat at all on a regular basis, I mean I think is a total win. <laughs> so, Why do you like... keep looking at me while you say that? Because <laughs> you're sitting beside me. <laughs> right? That's a total win. Like, if you're doing anything, like sun salutations, if you're attempting a twist, I don't know, how much courage does it take to, like, attempt Marichiasana D? It takes a lot of courage. Yeah, actually. especially especially my huge dislike for those the the C's and the C and the D. So yes, it's, it, it <laughs> <Right>? does. <laughs> and I um, think sometimes, like when you're a professional yoga, you know, yoga professional or a yoga mm -hmm. professional yoga teacher, or you know, you're really immersed in doing you know very advanced asanas. You can forget that mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, maybe, yeah it takes a lot of courage to show up and put yourself in that shape, especially when it's new or especially when your body's not the way it used to be, especially, yeah. you know, after you've had kids, especially when you're, you know, a woman in her middle ages, who's, mm -hmm. you know, going through all kinds of hormone fluctuations and not sleeping and like, you know, having all kinds of changes happening. I think, you know, people need to, um, I don't know, just be, I don't know, more aware, <laughs> maybe awareness is the key to, to, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Growth. I think, I think it's not, cause it's not the first time it's happened. Not right. well, It was, you know, with another teacher, it happened the same thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and it was interesting that when I did, you know, express my, myself, um, someone else, um, you know, sent me a private message afterwards saying that she'd experienced something similar. So, I think it's quite, you know, potentially quite common and just, just don't think it's very helpful at all. So no, and there's, I mean, I, this is the one thing that I feel is, is maybe like a little bit of an unhealthy current in the Ashtanga community. And as much as I love the practice and I, and I love the people who love the practice and I, I'm, you know, 
I know it takes so much dedication and determination and willpower and drive and just to like get up and do the thing daily. But there is a real unhealthy undercurrent about body weight and the fact that to do many of the postures, and this is the reality, to do many of the postures, you need to be very thin. (laughs) And that's not a healthy weight for many people. I would say a large majority of people it's not a healthy weight for. And especially women, especially when you have hips and a butt and, you know, (laughs) like, you know, it's, and, and so it makes that kind of shape, which is like a very feminine, very like beautiful shape, not something that is looked upon as unhealthy when actually it's very healthy, Mm, very healthy. And then it kind of, elevates this other shape that actually isn't healthy that's very skinny and very deprived and very um you know much like probably underweight for most women and says this is this is what you should um try to aspire to if you can't have a period then you can you could you could probably put that in the unhealthy bucket right yeah if Mm. you're losing your your you know, menstruation mm-hmm. and, and also, I mean, just if you have to eat under a thousand calories a day to maintain that weight mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and you're like, yeah, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling lighter. I can do the practice so much easier. It's like, yeah, yeah but like at what cost? And, yeah, and I feel like maybe some like, sorry, Russell, but huh? maybe some male teachers what? don't understand <laughs> like female physiology and that that's actually not I spent a good part of my life looking at women. Thank you very much. I know what they look like. (laughs) Do you? I don't know. It's just something that I I feel like your post really highlighted. Um, This this bias, it's it's an unconscious bias. Maybe it's conscious. I don't know. But it, it, you know, that... That many teachers who are, you know, very advanced in their practice have. And and it changes the way that you see people also. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that yeah. dangerous. Almost a, little bit, almost a little bit judgmental as well, you know? Like, 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, people are there for all different reasons. You don't know what their reasons are. And, mm-hmm. um I don't know, just, just, just being a little bit more, just thinking maybe before you speak sometimes is kind of useful. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just thinking about the impact of your words before you say them because, yeah, you just don't know what people are going through, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and we're all so different, you know. That doesn't, yeah. uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe um, the practice, yeah, is sort of kind of designed for people that are, you know, super slim but... Um, I find so much value in the practice myself, so I'm not going to be deterred by yeah. um, by what other people might judge or think. To be honest, I'll just do my thing. Yeah, I think it, I think there's there's something really fundamental to kind of human human consciousness and and the way that we set ourselves up um, for projection and then um, failure. I, I I feel like there's this kind of this epic narrative of the hero's journey of the and of a, a Superman that accomplishes that journey that we all follow their lead 
to arrive at a destination. And I, th I think that notion of a, of, a, of a journey following a Superman is the kind of specious logic that gets us into this, this problem where we have a model that we're looking to who yeah. is, you know, 1% body fat, six foot six, massive back bend, very long and long limbed, lean. <laughs> you know, they can be both male and female at the same time. You know, all of these, all of these ridiculous notions that we, that we then, you know, these, you know, stubby little Anglo-Saxons kind of aspire to. <laughs> And then fail at achieving our funny little Portuguese bodies. Yeah, and then, um, exactly. That are dead sexy, and then you know. It's so, but what you know, you look at someone like um, uh, Ramana Maharshi, and the the model of of that we're looking to with someone like him is to appreciate the nowness of now, and to examine and observe the nowness of now. And yet somehow this gets translated very quickly into going onto Instagram and looking at a influencer uh, model, the nowness of now and how <laughs> fucking gorgeous and rich she is and thin makes her uh, Instagram about the nowness of now um, 10,000 times more popular than mine. <laughs> well, the, you know, that's, that's the, that is the misery of our consciousness of mm -hmm. following uh, uh, the the uh, Ubermensch. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I mean, I have huge respect for um, Shangis, whatever size they are. But um, you know, you see people that are hugely dedicated to their practice, and they they have like this beautiful, slim, slender physique. You know, I've got nothing against that at all. But they're. I just, I think my post was more, um, everyone comes in different shapes and sizes, you know, so mm -hmm. it kind of needs to be a bit more inclusive rather than this kind of exclusive club that some people can't. Yeah. Listen. And I, and I mean, I think to that exactly to that is, is somebody who has a different physique can be just as dedicated to their practice mm -hmm. as someone yeah. who's super slim mm -hmm. and, you know, with a massive backbend. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like that doesn't show dedication but the the failing is is that 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 stubby anglo-saxon isn't getting <laughs> uh isn't finishing third series right and they're not as spiritually advanced yeah absolutely you know, by yes. definition which yeah. is a load of horse hockey yeah it uncovers <laughs> this bias that's yeah. there that that i feel needs to be talked about more and also like brought to the surface because because it, even like when you know it's there, it's still there, right? It's still like well, every fucking time I'm told that I'm too fat, you know, and I'm <laughs> laughed at. Oh, Russell, too fat. Then I'm kind of less inclined to do the fucking practice. Thank you very much. Yeah, and do you know what <sighs> I was as well? Like I really afterwards lost my mojo for doing it. It's all I was just like, oh. but um, yeah. Then I kind of have a, I I had to think about it and realize, you know, I'm not doing it for anyone else but myself. Maybe, right. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does kind of. Um, demotivate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if the idea of the Superman is to lead all of us and more of us to do it, well, then that's 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 counter to the whole to the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I do think the intention wasn't bad. You know, it's just kind of, of a flying. Not. It was just a comment that yeah. um, it was a flyaway comment. 
but it it left to kind of impact I suppose mm-hmm. yeah and I mean it's a comment that that allows us to have this conversation which I think is really valuable mm-hmm. um, because it because it reveals it reveals that unconscious bias and you know it's not it's not to say that it's only that teacher or only some teachers. I mean, it's just something that's, I think, in the culture, actually. And mm-hmm. it comes from the top. I mean, it, it's in Mysore, too. It's in Mysore, India. It's, right. it's every you fucking know, <laughs> can I Can I ask a question, though, just to, to clarify? Um, when the comment was made, was the comment, you're 100% sure, directed towards body shape? And like you're, look, you're kind of heavy. You should eat less sugar. Well, it was how how can how can I? I mean, I've been struggling with Mary Chestnut C for quite a while. How can I bind in it? And uh, someone and said, it, and the suggestion was eat eat no sugar for a month. Because it's possible. Because I went on one of these fucking candida fasts. I don't know if you've ever done one, but it's like basically. Anything that produces sugar, including anything that has any sugar in it at all, like candy, like uh, soy sauce or rice, or rice, like all it was, was boiled broccoli, you do start to feel a little bit flexible. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine you would. And, it, and I'm just saying, for, miserable, miserable, but flexible. Oh, I was high as a kite as well. I was like, <laughs> away Ooh, in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I felt like my flexible friends, like Brett Porzio, like he's a bit in the fairies. And I felt, I felt like him finally. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. How long did you do it for? So I did it for two weeks. And then I went to a wedding and I had a proper wedding feast. I think I was sounds in like Dor- a terrible way to in, bring it yeah. back. In Dorset. <laughs> I went down to Dorset for a wedding. Oh, yeah. And um, had a bit of cake. And on the way home, I had to stop the car and I vomited all of it. <laughs> Because the body said, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing to me? And then I I went back on the candida fast for another two weeks and me bloody, what do you call it? Um, Planter wart. Planter, the, um, what do you call those warts? A planter wart. Planter wart. I think Um, that's what it's called. There's a band that has the name of this. um, What's the name of this band named after a wart? It's like a 90s rock band. Veruca Salt. That's the band. So I had a Varuka and it, and it and it kind of peeled off me foot like a Band-Aid. It was the weirdest thing. You got rid of so, your fungus. You know, and I thought, yeah, I'm like, so yeah, that's a candida fast is to get rid of the candida fungus that's yeah. like rife through your body. Oh, sugar. I see, I see, I yeah. see. Okay. Just, just well, to say. Well, the fungus eats the sugar. One, fat shaming is not okay. And two, <laughs> fungus is not okay. Fungus no, is okay. not okay. <laughs> Unless it's a mushroom. Like mushroom. Magic mushrooms, yeah. yeah those, are, <laughs> those are do you. Speaking of fungus, we're watching that. Right? The, if there's the anything left, you learn from The, the last, last of Us, the last of us. Mm-hmm. Jakarta is where fungus comes from. And oh, okay. two, the mycelium network is real and you will it will It will eat you. It will eat <laughs> Yeah. Uh, What's this? The Last of Us. Is this it's a, yeah, it's the number one on hit new it's show on HBO, on HBO and it's okay, a, one, another one of these that. lovely. It's basically a zombie show, but, but they're, it's no, they're fungus. mushrooms. The <laughs> mushrooms have taken over the 
Let me look up the name of this mushroom. It's like a cordyceps or something. Cord- yeah, that's it. You did it. How do you remember that? I remember mushrooms that eat humans. Okay. The cordyceps mushroom mutated. And it does this in ants all the time. It takes over the host of an ant and it turns it into a, a um, carnivorous parasite that eats other ants. And so the premise is that the same cordyceps mushroom does this, it evolves mutates and takes over human beings and the human beings are eating each other see now we're revealing right. our like right. our secrets so, Secret passions bad television oh, we love the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so oh uh, well it was just so lovely to connect with you what are you up to now bella are you still doing your interior designs are you um working so I'm doing now and we're also going to um redo this house that I'm, I'm in now so uh, that'll be another project for me um and you're teaching privates well, too right teaching privates um yeah doing the course um and rebuilding this place so that's going to keep me busy i think for this year and then um looking to kind of move back to the uk at some point maybe early next year oh, don't do that uh, <laughs> i think i have to i have to oh, just for a from while from mum from mum and dad yeah yeah, and you probably that. would prefer to have British children, I imagine. Um, they've got, they don't really have an Aussie accent. Even no, do they? No. Mm. Yes. They've, uh, uh, yeah. they've, still, they've, they've got a little bit of a mix of Aussie and, and English. Yeah. Maybe British. they put on a performance at home of Maybe. Britishness and then out in the wild. <laughs> they're a bit... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's been a real pleasure just yeah. having a chin wag. Thank you. It has been. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been really lovely to catch up with you both. I wanted to talk more about cigarettes, but maybe the next time we could talk about giving that up. That'd be nice. Yeah, another time. Giving uh, up cigarettes? Giving up cigarettes. Yeah, there's a whole chapter here on it. It was really interesting. Yeah, it was, yeah. Provoking. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's always a good move. Yeah, Helps with absolutely. the pranayama. Having a, <laughs> having a chin wag. <laughs> yeah, it was just why? Why did I do that for so long? Anyway, right. just done that. You like smoking, didn't you, Harmony? I did. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's kind I... of a sort of social thing to do, but yeah. maybe not really. Yeah. In hindsight. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It was good for weight loss as a dancer. Oh, yeah, Harmony with the weight loss again. <laughs> Making all these poor health choices for weight loss. <laughs> so, I've done it all. I've done all yeah, of it. You've done so. all the weight loss techniques. I have, including not eating, including regurgitation, yeah. cigarettes, yeah. all the things. I that did you all do. the things, and they do work, though, don't they? They mostly do. They do the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, not advised. Not ill advised. No. Learn to love yourself the way you are. Yeah. With I or do. without Marichi Asanas. That's it. I'm never doing oh that. Oh my god. Fuck off. I'm not doing that. Again. Awful. Awful. No mm. one needs the Marichi Asanas. Let's just mm. be honest. I like I do twist in my chair once in a while. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds doable. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Well, thank you for inviting us and having such a nice conversation. It was so yeah. Fun. Thank you. <laughs> we can find the littlesanctuary.com.au. Yeah. So please look her up. The beautiful design. Thank you. Have a lovely rest of your day. More beautiful designs coming your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow